Hey, Alex the Editor here with a blast from the past. Our COO Ling and our CEO David had a chat on Clubhouse with the folks from Genesis Investment. It was filmed way back in March 22nd, 2021. Feels like a lifetime ago. Enjoy. Good, good. Thank you for the patience. First time joining Clubhouse. <laughs> oh my God, this is crazy. I actually wanted to ask you how did you manage to, to avoid this craze around Clubhouse, <laughs> but, it, but it's one of our questions for, for today, so I think that we will discuss this. <laughs> I think it's just my nature. I don't know if it's David's too. Like whenever anything is a hype, I try to avoid just like out of like rebellion like I don't want to follow the hype for as long as I can <laughs> but yeah I was telling David I like it right now I'm ready because as a woman I always have to put on makeup for zoom calls and podcast calls so this is a, a breath of fresh air <laughs> oh yeah yeah I can definitely relate to that true so true okay so will we wait for David or will you be Hello. Oh, together. Yeah. David. I'm we're joining together in the awesome. same room. The same avatar, which is amazing by the way. Wonderful <laughs> logo. <laughs> yep, okay. that's pixelated Hackanoon, our trademark. <laughs> okay, so we let's kick off the meeting. Elena has a lot of questions. I have a lot of questions for you guys, and I'm sure that as we speak more people will be joining us. And do you prefer to kick off? With a question? Yeah, actually, I, I wanted to uh, thank you for, for coming to our to our small show, and I hope that we will have a fruitful conversation today. And uh, I, just for those people who maybe don't know what Hakrindun is, so I wanted to ask you to describe Hakrindun in one sentence or in a couple of sentences, because, you know, Hakrindun, at the first glance, is about, it's a media outlet, it's a blog, it's a community for, for contributors, so... We would like to hear more from you as the creators of Hacker Noon of what Hacker Noon is for you. Hey, so we made Hacker Noon for a place to be a place for technologists to read, write, and publish. Hopefully, it can become a place where anyone can learn. And we started as a peer publication and we evolved to not only employ editors but also software developers. And we built our own content management system and we built slogging and we built a new knees and a few other softwares that are out there. And yeah, that's what we made. Yeah, I always laugh when people refer to it as this big tech company. We bootstrapped for a long time, for two, three years until we have the small team. So yeah, we're very much still operating uh, with the spirit of a startup and we like our team. Thanks. And can you tell me more? So uh, you have this uh, structure in which uh, anyone basically who wants to write a, a, an article or a piece uh, or an opinion piece or some analytical uh, analytical uh, article. So he or she can uh, do this on his own and uh, it's like a blog. But at the same time, uh, a lot of people treat it as a media outlet. And uh, so how do you think? Is it like, is it a problem or is it a benefit for you? So how do you feel what Hackernon is currently for the most of your of your users and readers and how people should, in your opinion, perceive this? Yeah, that's a good question. The way I think about how we exist in this kind of media tech 
technology news world is that we, in between the space of traditional journalism, Shit Journal, the New York Times, tech news versus like just general social media. So like journalism, we have editors to vet every single piece. So everyone who submits stories on Hakanoon will go through what we call the second human uh, rule. We want someone to make sure that it's it's a good enough uh, quality piece, checking for facts and grammar, structure of the stories. But it's similar to social media in a way that literally anyone can submit a story to Hakanoon. They don't need to be a professional writer. That's their day job. Actually, we have more people whose day job is something else. Like they work in the tech industry or they know something about the tech industry and they want to share it with the rest of the world. So in that way, it's uh, pretty similar to social media, uh, very democratic and very uh, accessible for everyone. I think if you look at technology companies as a whole, how we used to get news about them in the early days of the internet is a press release and what they put on their website and the idea of like customers talking about them or employees having tens of thousands of words connected to their names online. Like the early days of the internet, companies didn't even have that many words connected to their names. So I think we're really capitalizing on a movement where it's the employees and it's the customers and it's the lives impacted by these tech companies that shape what what their story is and what the company is. So I think we're kind of, like I said, capitalizing on that and empowering customers and employees to tell the stories of tech companies. And to answer your question about whether or not it's a benefit, like absolutely, I think everyone benefits from having their stories, their opinions documented for the interwebs, uh, especially when we in this online world, like the world just experienced this uh, shock to the system of everything got accelerating in terms of being online in the past year. And I, I think we sitting right there at that trend. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, I see. And talking about trends, how do you see Hakkinen in a couple of years or in five years? And how do you see the media industry overall? The media industry over, overall, I hope there's a lot less paywalls. I hope there's a lot more businesses. I think media as a whole and the tech industry as a whole are far too consolidated. And once you're consolidated at the level they're at, you have too much power over curation. So I would hope the software gets better and more small companies and more medium-sized companies can emerge and be independent businesses. And they don't need to be owned by a larger corporation to be profitable. This idea of acquire users in order to sell them or build a brand in order to sell it, it's, I understand it's part of the industry, but I hope it becomes you know less prominent. I'm all for democratizing the the industry, the tech publishing industry and publishing as a whole. Uh, I was just listening to a podcast this morning and they mentioned HBO Max in association with Warner Warner Brothers as controlled by AT&T. And I was just like, oh no, it's a flashback of this Parks and Rec episode about how the world is just like six corporations. And I do not envision this world being part of our plan. In fact, I want citizen journalism and whoever that has a story to be part of our story. And I I just think it's it's, it's a lot better for the world. David says, mentioned a little bit about world gardens as you probably can tell we're very against paywalls and anything that that makes it more difficult for people to access knowledge i think is a bad thing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay okay i see and uh, so 
have you noticed this current change in the media? And I actually wanted to ask your opinion on this change. So uh, a lot of media outlets currently, they are launching their their paid newsletters. They are launching their uh, own podcasts. And I that Hakkinen also has a podcast. And also they uh, are um, trying to monetize through paid through paid subscription but uh, i don't see it's happening because a lot of uh, still a lot of media uh, offer this uh, discounts for for their subscri- subscriptions so they're probably not that well off by monetizing through sus- subscriptions so how do you think is it will this current trend persevere in the future and how it will evolve eventually and wh- why don't you do the same because as i remember for our previous conversations with you you are not planning to to sell subscriptions on hacker noon and you're planning to stay free for the readers yeah i think the internet is a great invention and having all this imagine having the library of alexandra in like the year 1500 or even the year 1900 or even the year 1950 it's it's just a, it's always been a cool thing about what attracted me to this work of bringing all this content to a lot of people. And I personally just get so frustrated the moment you've entered my inbox or my newsfeed with a tease. And now I click to consume the content and now I've been baited and I have to switch and pay you in order to get it. So I think that experience of how the internet works is not great. But I, I do think it's really cool that more solutions are emerging for creators to monetize their work. And so for some people, if you have a niche where it's not that many people are interested in it, but a lot of it's really valuable to them, I understand more of the Patreon or the paid Substack model as a way to reward the person who's making the content. But for most Most stories online, the people that are actually willing to pay for it are something like one or two or three percent of the people that are willing to read it. So how do you monetize that entire middle group or do you just never do business with that middle group and you never grow because you're only serving your existing customers, which means it's impossible to get new customers unless you bait and switch and bait and switch again. So it's I understand why a lot of people are doing it and I think it's great. I think Substack is a really cool thing for someone that just wants to go on their own and monetize the people that already believe in them. I, I think that's a really great, powerful thing. But even look at this app we're on now. It's only available invite only on an iPhone and it's like you get in these loops. <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, is hard to like as a publishing company, like we value kind of documentations, like the proof that it exists, the conversation exists a lot. (laughs) So right now we just just trust that whoever that listens, (laughs) whoever that listens just takes notes. Exactly. But I think I I had a question about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Regarding the model of the media, which you did earlier a little bit on that i was curious what do you guys think about the andreessen horowitz move to create their own media when you know those corporations those big companies can afford launch their own publications i would say how do you see this as a perspective is it a competition for you guys how do you approach this kind of landscape development in terms of I think Andreessen Horowitz from the very beginning has always had media front and center. Their entire slogan of their company was built on an op-ed to the New York Times. So they've put content front and center from their plan in the beginning. And I think continued investment that they're doing in media 
is just on the path that I would expect them to do. I don't really think it's a major move or a change of the recent development developments, but any every company has a media division. What size are you? And then what size is the media division within your company? I think in venture capital, perception matters a lot. And I think they've got that from the very beginning. And it's going to see how, look at why, how much money has Hacker News made Y Combinator? It's a crazy amount of money that people go there first to comment. They value being at the top of that page. That is driving all the inbound submissions and it helps them negotiate better terms with founders. So I think from the beginning, venture capital and media have been uh, highly intertwined and venture capitalists that invest more in media see those returns down the line in their companies. And I think to connect to the point earlier David made, we benefit, everybody benefit from knowledge spreading faster and to in more places. So we don't see other media companies, new media companies uh, emerging as our competition. Like sure, like we have some of the same audience, but that is also the reason why we don't put paywalls uh, on our site and vouch to never do so because we believe that people benefit from having knowledge uh, whichever way they choose and where they choose to read it from. Thank you. Thank you for the comments. And I, I just wonder, uh, you, you've mentioned a couple of times that the fact about your community and the fact about the contributors and that you need to, that actually not only you, but the other media outlets, they also need to figure out the ways on how to monetize the content for, for the creators. And I think that this is a, a case for similar platforms as, for example, Clubhouse, because they're trying to figure out how to, how to reward the creators for the content that they generate and i wanted to ask you about your own take on how do you think is it uh, the most like viable option on how to monetize uh, on how to help creators monetize their content if they're generating video content or audio or they write pieces and also another question is regarding community building so how do you think is the optimal model for you to build a real community around something which stay with the platform not only for a couple of months but for for a long time because i think that i it's only my opinion but I think that you've managed to do Yeah, so it's with monetization of content and growing community, uh, these things do go hand in hand, but there are trade-offs. With Hacker Noon, we've optimized heavily for the contributors' call to action, and the idea is that everyone on the web has a place they want to drive content to, or, or has a destination that they want to drive traffic to, I should say. Mm-hmm. So we've put that call to action front and center on their author bio and on the story page and say, hey... We understand, we're not trying to make sure all traffic stays here forever, which is one of the news feed scroll problems that just is annoying. They don't want you to leave. Like I remember the early days of Facebook, you wouldn't, you would go to the browser when you click through. Now you're on a Facebook news feed or basically any other social network, you stay within the browser. So we always wanted to be, have a more honest and fair relationship with our contributors about moving traffic from Hacker Noon to wherever your corner of the internet is. But we also do want people to, gain value from the readership on our site. So we partnered with Coil, and when Coil subscribed, they automatically stream payments in the browser to the Hacker Noon contributors. So the way Coil works is based on your time reading. You distribute your monthly payment to all the sites that are web monetized. And we have around 1,000 authors are using this feature now. 
It's an experimentation uh, stage still. We partner with with Coil, so people can get money streamed to their wallet, and it's very small streams, like less than five dollars, because five dollars is what Coil members pay to be a member, and whatever they read on the interwebs will be streamed to whoever is the creator of the content they read. But there's more things that we can do. We're trying to do these paid video calls with Superpeer. All Hacker Noon writers who want to install the feature will have book a call with me and then they can set a price for how much money they want to be paid per half an hour or per hour. So those are like experiment, experiments that we're trying to do to see if there's a good kind of rep share agreement or just any kind of money that we can drive to the contributors. But like David said, David say, I think the most important thing that we do right now is distribution for the contributors uh, themselves. So for example, for me, put my call to action as my personal site. That's my take on politics or feminism, whatever else. Other people will have hired me or driving to their paid newsletters or anything. So it really de depends on them because our biggest strength right now as a platform is distribution and driving traffic to the contributors is the most important thing that we can do to indirectly drive money to and them. And if you see some of these startup folks talk about the value of building a community before a product and having a community <laughs> yeah. before you sell them something. So there's, there is a never-ending balance that your community always has to be larger than your number of customers. Your, your number of customers never is going to be larger than your number of communities. So when you think about growing that funnel as a creator and a creator looking at that funnel as something that's for their own business, they have to decide where, where do I put the gasoline on growth and then where do I try to extract that growth and, and get them to pay me. And so the the subscriber model of direct subscribers, just not very many of your community is likely to pay you. So you have to look for middle opportunities or make your top of funnel wider so you can drive that lower part of the funnel. So I, I don't think it's a one size fits all thing. Mm -hmm. I think it's something where you sit down with the type of content you're making and then you look and you, how do I want to put this on the internet to, to get the end result I want? Yeah, like some business decisions that we've made, like other would probably not have done like the decision not to do the paywalls and such and I think a lot of people like us for that a lot of people like that we ugly green that we're pixelated that we have the name hacker new that we do ethical advertising but we don't track personalized ad or anything like we don't follow you around the internet it's literally just this banner and a couple of slots on the tag so it's based on the content that you read rather than you know who you are as a person so I think it resonates with a group of people that like that kind of thing. Yeah, I had a question about that, by the way. So many questions for you guys today. <laughs> try to, I try to be in, in one line. First of all, you've mentioned the monetization, and this is a huge topic for media. Everyone tries to solve this conundrum in the best possible way. And obviously, you guys have a huge section on Hacker Noon website, and probably you... Were you thinking, I, I'm guessing here, but maybe you were thinking about doing the donations and for authors and, and blockchain. And, and the question that kind of follows this one is, do you feel that your move from Medium has been the right decision? I, I, I wonder, and 
do you think many people know that you are no longer on Medium in terms of your readership? Because I'm not even sure that many people understood that you guys moved somewhere. What do you feel about that? So is this move the right decision in terms of making those choices for monetization? And was blockchain one of those options have you considered? It was the best decision that we made in terms of right. Like it's not just a right decision. It's something, the only thing that we could do for the company that would ensure that Hacker Noon would exist as a publication as opposed to a concept. So the backstory at the, at the time is we have advertising that's going on and they change from something that we thought would be a WordPress or Squarespace into their own publication. And they don't want anyone to have any branding on there except for Medium. And they want to move to the member membership model. Uh, again, we're very against paywall. So having people having to pay money to read the fourth or the fifth article, which is against our stance. So at that point, we we have to build the new platform. It takes eight I mean, months, but we did it. And right now, Medium's a tiny percent of our referral traffic. So it's new people to the question, do they know what we're doing right now? And most people are finding us from Google because they're looking for a specific expert. In terms of was it the right decision in this year, we're already at a multiple of the amount of money and revenue that Medium offered to buy the buy the, the entire entirety company. of the company. So it's like, from oh, a business wow. perspective, it's just uh, they don't they're not a good partner. In your history of picking partners, you'll pick good partners, you'll pick bad partners in business and in life, and they'll force you to make decisions. And I'm happy with our timing. I'm happy with our 1,200 shareholders. It's good to have people that believe in what we're doing as opposed to people that may change their mind in what they're doing. Thank you. Thank you for that. This is actually a very uh, good point because sometimes people think that probably partnering with somebody big, especially when, when you're a startup, it's usually this uh, huge preconception that if you partner with someone big, it will uh, drive you a lot of traffic, but it's uh, uh, all about testing and iterations. And sometimes testing proves that these big partners don't bring that expected traffic as was expected in the, in the very beginning. Yeah. And when the partner partnership was made. It's about dependencies and strings attached to like with a big platform or with anything. I know you guys are VCs, but we there's a reason why we started the very first fundraising for Hacker Noon with crowdfunding because we don't want any strings attached. And we want to make sure that we raise from the community. And it was a proof of concept and it, it worked. The community believed in us and 1,200 people shipped in as little as $107, which is the minimum that they can do. And if you look at why do why do big companies make partner makes partnerships with many small companies? They're not doing it to give away value. At the end of it, like they've set up a structure that they know they'll gain more value. Zynga could never be bigger than Facebook. It's always going to be yeah. a cap. It's just how it's going to be. And if that's what you want, and you can still grow a good company with another company. It's just you're so dependent on them and whoever they hire and whatever change of heart they have at any given moment. And so it's really refreshing to have less of those types of partnerships when you're, you know, building a small business. 
Yeah, yeah, I agree. And actually, I it's late for me to ask that question, <laughs> and it's a bit funny. But why did you decide to just for, for for our listeners? Why did you decide to raise venture capital money after all? It started with a strategic investment from Coil, who they participated in the crowdfunding round. Mm-hmm. So we had you know good relations with them, and the lead of this investment is predicated on a three-year partnership to drive web monetization for contributors. So it's something that it's not. It start. It started from the place of business development, and, and not it's in from our the plan, place. Of, you know, to help the contributors, whichever way we can. Coil happens to be a, a partner that not only can give us some money, but also can help the contributors with that. That was really important for us to choose them. And with them as the lead, and then it was a matter of firms that were interested in what we're doing. We left a little room so they could follow, and that became the Greater Colorado Fund and you, and you guys- Genesis Investments. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's actually a very, uh, it's a very funny story, and I usually tell about it uh, when some people ask me about our investment. Uh, in uh, I usually tell the story that they just wrote their CEO on, on LinkedIn, and he said, "Hey, we are raising a, <laughs> a investment, so do you want to follow on?" And people are like, "Wow, you called wrote them, and they just said so." It's it's a huge surprise, especially for VC people. Yeah, no. The more VC people I talk to, the more they the things they think I do are strange. <laughs> so are you guys still open for uh, you know new contributions, or the round is closed? The round is closed, no but but we're thinking we're probably not gonna raise anytime soon or raise ever again if we get to the point where we'll be able to help the contributors be profitable, build a platform that we you know, the product of which we appreciate. So right now, like our focus, all the gasoline is put on building the best product that we can. Uh, so as a when tech you say company. we're open to contributions, we're open to words. Anyone can come to our site and contribute words. When it comes to money, not right now, <laughs> maybe later. We have some. <laughs> yeah, so following up on my double question about the, for the contributors, so were you considering any donations and crypto on the platform if some of the services did try to do that like on steam for instance have you considered ever something like that or you chose a different path absolutely we've considered it and we've looked at a number of different things and there's a lot of trade-offs versus building yourself and partnering with others with the coil revenue that people are making they can choose to donate it if they want pretty simply, but it's not really like core in the platform. And then there's really donations to the contributor themselves or the contributors using their earnings to give crypto, which I think is also a powerful use case. We also donated $10,000 last year and the year prior, and we vouched to match whoever want to donate during this year, like we can match. But yeah, like in terms of crypto, I think the future, like we can... Look at a couple of NFT. I know that this is such a hot word there, and I've actually not do hype news, but we did talk quite a bit. This is hype news. Yeah. This is in the room. Yeah, about NFT. About it this is a safe space to talk about. Like uh, we mentioned, medium. Like we we have multiple times exceeded the in terms of revenue, the money they offer to buyers. Like back in two thousand eighteen, so I think it would be a fun thing to do something about that. Cool. We have Alexander join us. Alexander, hi. Did you want to ask a question or make a comment? 
Hi, hi. Hi, everyone. Thank you, Liliana. Thank you, everyone, actually, for a cool, really useful room. I, yeah, I'm Alex. I'm working for TikTok as a brand marketing lead. I have a question more kind of operational. I'm curious, as I know that Hacker Noon more kind of UGC platform. So I'm curious if you could share what, if there is any moderation before go live with their publishers or you, if so, how does it work in like moderational model? And also, I'm curious about the monetization if the writer there's um, actually earning some money if so also curious to, to know monetization model if you're able to share of course thank you thanks uh, yeah so all stories go through um, a part-time staff editor at Hacker Noon so they're reviewing about 10 to 30 minutes uh, quality grammar fact-checking headline feature image improving the quality so that anyone can contribute a story and it'll be reviewed within the average is about two and a half business days. so anyone can submit a story and expect time to hear back within that time frame yeah we reject maybe like a third uh, of the stories more. So more than that yeah these days more because we have more submissions but there is a standard a bar that people have to cross in order to be on Hacker Noon, you can't just post some unverified information about some competitors and you work say at, that it's objective. Working at TikTok, I imagine <laughs> your philosophy is a little different of the, the more is better content and your moderations are more on the evil and the bad side of things versus the... But it is, I think, a good thing for the internet if just before you hit that post button, another human's able to look at it and say, hey, if this lived forever, would you be happy with it? And so I think that mindset has improved the overall quality of the site tremendously. In terms of monetization, the contributors own their content and we're trying to optimize for them to use their call to action and drive traffic to their corner of the internet and monetize there. But we do have uh, Coil web monetization, MetaTag, SuperPeer, book a call with me. And it's something we need to get better at. We're offering a few things that could become the beginning of a marketplace, but also with the ads themselves for monetizing Hacker Noon. We're not tracking our readers, matching for bidding on Google ads. It's all we're selling directly to our customers. Yes. And so that I think uh, creates much more relevance and quality with our advertisements. Yeah, so in short, there's some monetization, but the main thing is we, like I mentioned, we drive distribution and traffic to the contributors so they can do something with the traffic, including monetization on their own platform. Amazing. Thank you for answer, guys. So yeah, I agree with you. The the logic behind the TikTok moderation is the same. I think it's the same for all of the video platforms moderation, how it works like once the user like uploads the, the content and then first and second wave of moderation. But I was curious, how does it work for news platforms? So thank you for your sharing and yeah, continue to do amazing work, guys. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Cool. Cool question. Yeah, I agree. So uh, with the text, someone still has to read it. No AI is capable to <laughs> evaluate an article yet. Uh, they're getting closer. I some AI, yeah. yeah. Like we can really? like read out some bad keywords. Not on our platform yet, but like I think the future of AI use some in Hackathon platform is very close. I mean, we have some spam prevention stuff that's going on. And I think uh, headline generating is something we'll be working on more there, which I'm excited about. Yeah, and we have a partnership that's coming out pretty soon with not like an AI, but like pretty similar. So we have... <laughs> not going to reveal accidentally on today's call, but we're happy with that partnership. Did everyone sign an NDA for today's call? <laughs> <laughs> we have to.
<laughs> I guess we have Sun Yam. Correct me if I'm pronouncing correctly. No, that's great. Thanks. I, I you had a question. I, I didn't have a question. I thought I'd just share my experience with about just writing for Hacker Noon. So I've been a long-term contributor. I think David would recognize me, but hey. the part hey. about <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, but the part about a human reading your article. So I started out in 2017, and David was very helpful with the feedback. That was really helpful in guiding my career, so to speak, as a content creator. Oh, we're like almost crying here. Like we go through so much ups and downs with the company, but like it's moments like this that make it all all worth it. Just like a little messages on LinkedIn or on Twitter, and like Sanyam to just show up at the call. It just makes it all. I worth do it. think people can forget how lonely the internet is. It's like they spend so much time on the screen, just hoping there's someone on the other side of the screen that cares about the same thing or something similar. And it's yeah, it's just been something that I hope the internet can get better about. And maybe we did a. Small part of doing it. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. We have we have Magbud. I'm not sure. Do you have a question? Hi. Hey. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to say what up. I'm a longtime Hacker Noon contributor. I just wrote I wrote an article that did a huge change. It made the president of my first company change. So now I just wrote a new one trying to get the CEO change. Oh my goodness! <laughs> Inspiring. I love the phone calls. I got a phone call. I got paid eighty bucks to do a phone call. I love that. I'm excited about micro payments, and I wanted to give a shout out to Utsav. Yes. Oh man, Utsav. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and he just gives me so much positivity. Like he makes me feel good about. So that's rare to find in media. Usually, I just have someone telling me, "Oh, your story is crap. Go away." But the one question I had, I wanted you guys to talk about Gary Tan. Having Gary Tan as an investor, what's that been like? And was he kind of the one who told you guys to start exploring、uh, crypto and decentralization options? Also, I wanted to know if you guys are ever going to have a hacker new token. Maybe is the answer to the first one. Gary Tan, we actually had just started our equity crowdfunding, and he followed Hacker Noon, so that's kind of how we started. Just a direct message relationship. Talked to him. Went to San Francisco. He's known a little more for crypto now, but the early days of his career, he built an early blogging platform. That, Publishing, yeah. Yeah. So he's had a lot of good feedback in terms of software decision making, and then the whole initialized team has been sometimes they get the friendlier side of venture capital, and they've been helpful and consultants and just help giving us feedback along the way. They actually helped us get our grant from Google. I feel like for VCs, like just in general. Like you guys have a hard job of balancing, like adding value versus is it not enough or is it too much? Like and then we, yeah, and we definitely see different levels for sure. Oh, and it's also you can be really excited about an idea that you don't want to invest in. So there's always these trade-offs amongst what you're excited about and what you invest in. And honestly, I just think he's probably one of the better people with publishing around. So I, I think it's been yeah, it's been really helpful to, that he's. Cared about the future of Hacker Noon. Yeah, as for the token, like we kept talking about it. I think we have to build a good product first before like thinking any further. All right, we have 
because I respect journalists so much but it is true that the process of getting published in any kind of journalism like publication is very lengthy and you go through so many hoops like maybe months maybe years and it, it's just hard I literally get over 50 emails a day of PR firms pitching me stories and I'm telling them <laughs> like that's not how it works anymore <laughs> Yeah, and and we link to publish.hackernoon.com and be like, thank you. <laughs> Here's Chase. Chase, hi. 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 Hey, everyone. Hey, hey. Chase. Yeah. Hey, David. Hey, guys. Yeah, a uh, question here. It has to do with the second person policy of somebody at Hacker Noon reviewing a submission before it ends up on the site. I'm curious if Hacker Noon has ever thought of uh, using your some of your best contributors maybe a group of them and then a system where the piece gets submitted to some of your power users and if three out of four sign off on it then it gets approved or that maybe they're the ones providing the feedback and you eventually don't have to pay for that role oh yeah you hit the nail on the head like we talk about this idea and thought of it for a long time now we have a list of maybe 50, 100 people that we really trust in terms of uh, in the group of the contributors and we really like the idea of community. We need to come up with some standards, which the editors have been doing this for two or three years now. They have got uh, very good at documentation, which is need to be able to, to develop that feature. Yeah, and there's a lot of give and take there. Uh, I think the Minds uh, jury system, Minds.com, they have an interesting jury system that we've been looking at a little bit. And I think you're, and we also have a massive library now, so it's over 75,000 stories. So we have a good bit of knowledge about, and then every story has eight tags and every story creates a certain amount of time reading. So we have a good bit of expertise knowledge of the community in terms of who creates reading time on by the subject matter. So that would be the natural step to give those people more power and have the power to publish other people. It's just, it's a long road. 
That's all we, if you asked me the same question a year and a half ago, I would say it would be live right now, <laughs> <laughs> but it's not live right now. It has proven to be a, a trickier problem than I, just the more you learn about a problem, a lot of times the bigger it is. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, that's true. I think we can move to a little bit of news discussion. We have a few minutes more left. How do you feel about it, guys? Sounds good. Sure. I want to put this out here and maybe you will have some thoughts on this. I think this was a very interesting tech news. And by the way, might be also interesting to explore how Hacker Noon sees this issue. So Instagram recently announced that they want to launch an app for kids under 13 years old. And this has been widely discussed in the media. Most questionable, like it was a questionable decision-making. We had Alex from TikTok earlier, so this is probably because Instagram is competing with TikTok for the younger generation, mm -hmm. for sure. So this move is a market move. So what do you guys think about it? Do we need, like on the internet, do we need like, more kids on, on Instagram? Or is it even a thing to do in 2021? What do you think about this announcement? What are you talking about? I'm still on Instagram. I'm a kid. No, <laughs> no we, we're parents. So I think... Like my first impression to this news is that there has to be a safe space for kids because you can't really stop kids from being online. You can put some sanction and some grounding techniques as parents, but for the most part, kids are online. And I, I know the experience from some secondhand accounts of some moms trying to go undercover as a 13-year-old, 14-year-old on Instagram, and it's horrendous. The moment they got on Instagram as a younger person, they get inundated with creepy messages from from guys and as a mother it just it hurts like it hurts to just hear stories like that so i think i don't know the details of how they're gonna make this actually kids friendly and what's the relationship with the main instagram but i know for a fact that there is a huge problem going on not just on instagram but pretty much every platform with kids being being unsafe and right now, as far as I understand it, for that age group, a lot of it's the social network is basically happening on video game sites. And you look at those applications as where that behavior is happening. And once that chat room opens up, who knows what's going on and who what's being said in there. It, it's an absolute constant battle. How do kids are going to adapt to the, the Internet and Facebook once that market share? And are they the right company to build the social network mm -hmm, for mm -hmm. kids? Yeah. Have they proven exactly. their trust that that's, they should be the, the ones? That's the question I would ask because I think there's definitely needs of space, safe space for kids. The question should not be whether or not kids should be online because it's not something you could prevent. It's like whether or not drugs should exist or alcohol should exist. It's not that. Like it's already there. People are going to use it regardless of whatever restriction. Now, whether or not we can make it safe and whether or not Facebook could make it safe is a different ball game. Yeah, that's a great point. By the way, uh, what is the contributor age uh, restriction? It's 18, but there are there have been There's some... There's some 16-year-old. Uh, we have a 15 or 16-year-old that contributes yeah. pretty regularly. And he's particularly asked, like, is it okay if I'm like a 16-year-old? And we read his... Uh, content and we find and there's no comments right now under the story so there's no way to like really harass a kid if there you know someone out there we make sure that all the people who publish on Hakanoon have the 
and yeah, and like maturity like and becoming, intelligence. Becoming too social too fast, like opening up messaging and those types of things. We've taken more of a conservative approach and say your contributors can message each other on other platforms, not on ours right now. Yeah. You, you can't message on Clubhouse either, by the way. <laughs> I know. I was trying to, to DM you earlier and then it says start a chat room together. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I have a little question regarding this thing called Instagram for kids. Uh, so uh, can you please explain to me why people, why people were pissed off about this piece of news? I don't think I'm pissed off, so I don't know if I could explain for other people. I, I, would, I would call it, if anything, I would just say it's expected. Like they, Facebook just wants to get the user earlier. They want the messaging to happen in one of their apps. They don't really care which, and they want to host the content. So that if they get them at nine, they're a longer term user than if they get them at 15 or 18. So I, I don't think it's I think a lot of the backlash about their strategy against Facebook in general is because of how like they try their best to do during the George Floyd movement and right now with the Stop Asian Hate movement. And I think uh, and mm-hmm. they got backlash for it as well in, during both. And I think it's because they have yet to prove that it's authentic and honest and and not just like a reaction to the backlash against the earlier things that they do yeah i would say the fundamental difference that facebook and i have an opinion is i believe uh curation has bias and there's no way to get an unbiased curation and it's not possible so they they really want to try and sit in the middle never take a stance on anything at the same time they're taking stances on all these issues so it's a tough contradiction for me to swallow yeah, yeah. And I have a question for, for you, David and Lynn. So uh, do you have any like piece of news which was the most shocking or hard for you within the last uh, two or three months? And why was it like very hyped or hard for you? So a piece of news that's uh, what characteristic? Hype or hot? NF- you thought interesting, something interesting also? Yeah, um, the I, NFT I, th- I think the NFT bump has been very interesting of getting at a scarcity and originality. Yeah, our first story about NFT was actually like November earlier. Or, or earlier of 2020. So like we, as a tech company, we get in on the some of the news earlier on. But yeah, I thought NFTs were just interesting because... Of the fact that it's not about the work, it's about the certificate of the work that matters. And the fact that you can just, let's say if you sell a tweet and then you delete the tweet, there's no way in the policy that prevents the buyer of the certificate from saying you cannot delete the tweet. Now I would just have a reprint, so to speak of it, that live forever. And I think I I also just been thinking about just the environmental impact of it and the fact that the market is just so volatile and as we know, like when a market is volatile, like the people that usually rise up to the top would be, yeah, predatory. And just the people who usually get more information, like who, who understand form- formation, the information is un- unlevel. And um, like right now, I'm just uh, thinking about the future of this very hot asset right now. Okay. Yeah, actually, with NFTs, it was one of the maybe greatest news, not the greatest, but largest, uh, for sure, 
within the last three months because uh, a lot of people still cannot they don't get it but they see they can make some money with with mm-hmm. nfts they see this huge cases when, when somebody when something was uh, sold something virtual was sold for a lot of money they're trying to, to do something similar and yeah for sure such a piece of news will be uh, will go viral for sure yeah, so whenever I see news like this, so there was this article, so I usually get my tech news from Hakanoon, right? <laughs> but I go to my top stories and one of the story that really speaks to me lately is called I love Bitcoin, but I hate Bitcoin from an economist. And it really it just hits me because it talks about how whenever Bitcoin is trending or a crypto is trending or something like NFTs is trending, the reason and the long-term impact of it is so vast. Decentralization of the internet and making artists like a work that's viable, again, that's all very great. But usually the people who first get in on the thing usually is like David said, predatory and greedy more than the people who actually believe in the potential of it as a technology and as something that could better humankind like it's so i feel usually conflicted about this kind of news even though it's a surrounds something that we read every single day reviewing stories for Hakanoon, but both skeptical and optimistic at the same time about these um, nfts as well as other crypto i would add use. the the thing that i I'm hopeful for why NFTs won't be a wave that dies is I I do think it's based on old tendencies. When a painter made a brilliant painting, the first reprint of it was still more valuable than the second and the third. And there's a reason they numbered all these reprints and the basic technology that would be comparable here is the author writing one out of 500 and signing their name. And so I think that idea of getting closer to the originality and being able to measure how close you are to the original is something underlying that a non-fungible token could be a, a big technology solution for. That sounds very interesting. And I wanted to ask if you guys, if I make a recap of our talk today and me and Yelena share our news, would it be something to be up on Hacker Noon or you usually do not put up your own interviews on Hacker Noon? Oh, we do that all the time. Please. Uh, like I mentioned, we love documentation. We think that everything should be text-based. Yeah. So, Carl, <laughs> please take notes. <laughs> you know, there's thousands of people listening right now that could petition to Clubhouse. But yeah, no, like in all honesty, though, I think this conversation cross-pollinate to other platform is the way to go, including Hagenoon. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. What if so, tokens were available as NFTs? Ooh. <laughs> like how tweets are. <laughs> I, have, I have some articles. I think someone would buy the NFT to make me delete. If they did that, they could, they could only delete the NFT. Exactly. They cannot delete your article. It's not an ownership of the thing. It's ownership of the certificate of the thing. <laughs> <laughs> so... I think that one's been tried before. It's called catch and release. It's used by all the tabloid magazines. <laughs> but all seriousness, that's a great question. And I'm asking myself it. <laughs> 
Nice. So uh, are we going to wrap up our conversation? Yeah, I think so. It was an amazing talk. I made a lot of notes. I'm, if you're up to it, Elena, I will be happy to make a recap of this discussion. I think we hit many interesting points. Surely not all of the points that Hacker Noon is about, because Hacker Noon is such a great and huge community of writers and contributors and editors. And um, there's a lot to cover for sure. During this one hour, we were able to touch a lot of very interesting, uh, valuable points, I think. So I will be happy to make this recap. And I really thank you for this talk today. And thank you for being so open and answering all the questions. That was really amazing. I had a true pleasure talking to you guys. Yeah, thank you for having us. First time joining Clubhouse. I think a good impression so far. Yeah. Hype news. <laughs> <laughs> You should do more. Yeah. Yeah, we reserved our name like six months ago, and then we just sat around. <laughs> so thank you for the conversation, and we are wrapping it up, and thank you for sharing all your thoughts, and I think that it was a really fruitful conversation for today, and I'm really happy talking to you guys. So uh, I hope to see you soon and hear from you soon. And uh, have yeah, a nice thanks, day Elena, evening. for taking us, for you know, gathering all of us together here. That's your call. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's great, great stuff. Thank you very thanks. much. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah, have a good day. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. You too. Bye bye. Thank you all.